Bibles tonight, if you would, Romans chapter number 14. Romans chapter number 14. I'm sure that most of you know Wednesday nights, we've been going through a series on living by principles. And a principle is really a basic guideline that we operate by. And so it's different than doctrines. Doctrines are the truths that we hold to. But a principle really is a policy, a foundation, how we do it. And we've been looking through these different principles, principle of separation, principle of always putting God first, principle of consecration, principle of Christian fellowship, principle of heavenly affections. We've looked at the principle of authority, the principle of temptation. We looked at the principle of finishing everything you start and the principle of the local church. And then last week, we looked at the principle in dealing with a weaker Christian. And what we uh, reminded ourselves as a fact is that not everybody is at the same maturity level in a church. Certainly, there are some that are not even saved, and there are some that have just gotten saved, but they don't hardly know any more than the fact that Jesus saves. They couldn't tell you uh, Genesis from Revelation. They couldn't tell you how many books in the Bible. They didn't know that the epistles weren't the wives of the apostles. They couldn't answer those questions. So they're young Christians. They're baby Christians. Also in a church, there are very mature Christians. Christians have been saved for a long time. And if we're not careful, if you've been saved for a while, if you're still growing and haven't stopped in that growth, then if you're not careful, you'll look down upon others that have not matured as far as you have, and you'll get critical of them. And that's what Paul dealt with there in Romans chapter number 14. He warned us about that fact of how we take care of how we treat weaker Christians. Having said that tonight, we're going to look at the other side of that coin. So one side is how maybe a more mature Christian needs to be careful how he deals with a weaker Christian and that he not bully them, that he not, uh, that he not boss them around, that he allow them the time to grow. Well, tonight we're going to look at the other half of that same coin, and that's what if you're the weaker Christian? And how are you to deal with situations? Look there at Romans 14. It's where we're going to start. Verse number 23. Romans chapter 14 and verse 23. And if you'd follow as I read, the Bible says, And he that doubteth is damned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith, for whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, again, we thank you for each one that's come. We thank you for these old-fashioned songs that we could sing. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege of a perfect Bible placed in our hands. Thank you, Lord, that our children could have a special time devoted to them, the other end of the building, where they could have fun, they could be spending time with others their age, where they could be reminded on their level about Jesus Christ and all that God's done for them. And Lord, bless them at the other end. But would you please help us? Would you please add yet another one of these principles to our toolbox that we would learn something more that would help us? And Lord, this is really the other side of the coin that we looked at last week. It's as important 
to us as last week was. Help us. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, look at that verse again, Romans 14 and verse 23. The Bible says, And he that doubteth. Pastor, what's he talking about? Well, you'd really have to back up to the earliest part of chapter 14. Look there again in verse number 1. Him that is weak in the faith. So it could be a baby Christian, someone that's been saved just a short time. Could be someone that's been saved a long time, just never grown. They're not, they're not strong in the faith. Notice again verse 1. He that is weak in the faith receive ye. So don't run them off because they don't know all that you'd know. Don't, uh, don't frown upon them because they don't act completely the way that you act. He says, receive ye, but not to doubtful disputation. So there are some things that maybe in your Christian life and mine, maybe we've settled it already. Maybe it's already clear and, and we don't doubt and, and we don't wonder. But for somebody that's a new Christian or somebody that's never really grown in their faith, they have probably carried in a lot of their old life into this Christian life. So many of the things that they were taught before they ever got saved, they, they assume that that's still right. And many of the things that they did before they got saved, maybe it was in another church or no church at all, well, they just assume that that must still be right. And so he's saying if you're a, a more mature Christian, you don't need to get in a scrap about everything that you're not in agreement on. It says receive them, but not to doubtful disputation. So we looked at that last week, and Paul gave us two examples. One of the examples in that first century was there was many converts that had come out of false worship. They had worshipped false gods, and in that false worship, they had dedicated animal sacrifices, and then they would take the remainder of that animal sacrifice, and they would take it down to the uh, city center to sell. It was, there's a word used for it called shambles, and that word shambles is their marketplace. And so they would, after it was used in the dedication for a false god, they would take the remainder of that down to the market and sell it. And people could buy it cheaper. Most people knew where it came from. And Paul's attitude about it was, we know that there's only one true God, and we know that all the rest are false gods. And so listen, if you can get a discounted price on the meat, take it. But he said there's going to be some weak Christians who've maybe come out of that religion who still there is in their thinking, oh, I can't eat that. No, that wouldn't be, there's doubts about whether it's okay to eat that. And that's why he said receive them, but not for, to doubtful disputation. Just because they're uneasy about it, don't get fighting about it. Just let it go. His first example was things about eating. His second example, if you look there just a little bit further in verse number 5, Romans chapter 14 and verse 5, one man esteemeth one day above another, another esteemeth every day alike, let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. So there were some that still had a very high regard, and maybe it was for some of those Old Testament Jewish days like Pentecost and, and uh, Passover and 
the Feast of Tabernacles. It could have, if it was Jews, it could have been that. And, and they just still couldn't let go of those days and still thought that they, it, folks, it would be like, it would be like if somebody came here and said, I think that we really need to respect Lent. I mean, you know what Lent is. Lent in the Catholic religion is, I think it's 40 days before Calvary, 40 days before the Passover where they had to, they had to deliberately give up some pleasures, I think. I think that's close enough. Well, if somebody came into Golden Plains Baptist Church and said, well, don't you folks, don't you revere Lent? Well, it's of course not. Paul said, let it go. That's, that's a carryover, and, and don't fight over it. Because he said, in fact, look at verse number five again. It says, one man esteemeth one day above another, another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. And so he says, as much as you don't see anything in it, it's not an issue to you, that man, that woman has to be fully persuaded themselves. And so Paul now, when he gets to verse 23, he now looks on the other side of the coin and he says, okay, what if you are the weaker Christian? What if you still have some hang-ups over that? What if you still have some issues of that? Now, what are you going to do? And so that's what we're going to look at here tonight. And if you would write this title for you that write titles, The Principle of Doubtful Things. We're going to look at the principle of doubtful things. And again, it is the other side of the coin. And, and some would say, well, just... Just ignore your conscience. If your conscience still feels bad about it, just ignore your conscience and do it anyway. To that idea, look again, Romans 14, 23. The Bible says, and he that doubteth is damned if he eat. Now, it's not talking about going to hell. There's nothing like that. But you bring a condemnation on yourself if your conscience is telling you no and you just plunge headlong anyway. And so again, we're gonna look at this principle of doubtful things. Let's see what we can learn about it. Let's begin there, if you would, back to Romans chapter two. Pastor, what can we learn about this principle of doubtful things? Now again, it might be someone else that you're trying to help, or it might be you. Romans chapter two, look there, if you would, in verse 14. Romans 2 and verse 14, Paul writes, For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law are a law unto themselves. We know that Paul wrote the book of Romans, the first part of chapter 1. He gives his introduction and, and his highs. And the rest of chapter 1 and chapter 2 and chapter 3 Paul spends on convincing you and I that we're all sinners. That's really the whole theme of Romans 1, 2, 3. In chapter number 2, he says the Gentiles are sinners. In chapter number 3, he says the Jews are sinners, so we're all sinners. Now, when he gets to chapter 3, he said, you Jews, you ought to know better because to the Jews was given the Scriptures. In fact, look there in Romans 3 and verse 1. 
Romans chapter 3 and verse 1, what advantage then hath the Jew? Or what profit is there of circumcision? That's Israel. Much every way chiefly because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. And so he's saying of all people, you Jews are sinners and you have no excuse because it was to the nation of Israel that the law was given, the Ten Commandments, the remainder of all those laws. He said, you know better because you have been given the law. That's to the Jew. But in chapter two, he says to the Gentile, you don't have any excuse either. And maybe some Gentiles said, yeah, but we weren't given the law. How would we know what's right and what's wrong? So look again at Romans 2 and verse 14. Again, Romans chapter 2 and verse 14. For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law are a law unto themselves. He said, yes, it's true that the Gentiles were not given the law. But the Gentiles have something inside of them that's a voice that's telling them what they should do and what they shouldn't do. You see, preacher, what voice is inside a lost Gentile that steers them through life? Very next verse, look at Romans 2 and verse 15. It says, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness. So folks, before any of us got saved, whether we were a Jew who was given the law or a Gentile that wasn't given the law, there was inside each of us a conscience. There was an inside voice. And that voice inside us said, don't do that and yes, do that. And it was a conscience that was in us. Again, we're trying to learn about the principle of doubtful things. If you're taking notes, first thing, God has placed in every person a deputy. Now, I'm using these. That's why I use that one. God has put inside every person this voice that God deputized to steer us through life. Now, you say, Pastor, what does that all have to do with doubtful things? It doesn't matter what you have facing before you. God has given you a source of help to guide you through that doubtful thing. And again, that help is called your conscience. So even though the Gentiles have not been given the law, they still have a moral code inside of them what's what's right and what's wrong. In fact, keep your hand there in Romans, but uh, turn back to Genesis chapter 20. I'll give you a Bible example of a lost Gentile that did not have the law. And we know he didn't because Genesis comes before Exodus. Exodus 20 is when the law was given. So Genesis chapter 20, and here is a lost man's conscience that's guiding him in what he does. Look there in Genesis 20 and verse number 1. Genesis chapter 20 and verse number 1, we find this. Uh, it says, And Abraham journeyed from thence toward the south country and dwelled between Kadesh and Shur and sojourned in Gerar, that's Philistine territory. And Abraham said of Sarah his wife, She's my sister. 
And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. After all, he was convinced that she was free for the taking. Verse 3, but God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, thou art a dead man, but a dead man. For the woman which thou hast taken, for she is a man's wife. Well, hold on, he's lost. He's heathen. He doesn't know God. God's not, Jehovah is not his God. Look what it says in verse 4. But Abimelech had not come near her. And he said, Lord, wilt thou slay also a righteous nation? Said he not unto me, she is my sister, and she even she herself said, he is my brother, and the integrity of my heart and the innocency of my hands have I done this. And if you read the rest of it, God says, I know you haven't touched her. There was, this man had inside him a policeman that told him, that is not your wife. You don't have any rights upon that woman. I'm saying to you in this matter of the principle of doubtful things that God has placed in every person a deputy. It's a conscience. You say, well, preacher, that's a Gentile. What about the Jews? Do they have a conscience? Look over there, if you would, in the Gospel of John, chapter number 8. John, chapter number 8. And so we, we just have three steps to figure this answer out, but... We're still on the first one. God has placed in every person a deputy. John chapter number 8. So there is no person saved or lost that really has any excuse I didn't know. How could I know that that was wrong? Well, you had a conscience. You have a conscience. Look there in John chapter number 8 and look in verse number 3. John 8 and verse 3, the Bible says, And the scribes and Pharisees, very religious Jews, brought unto him, unto Christ, a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses and the law commanded us that uh, such should be stoned, but what sayest thou? And this they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote in the ground as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote in the ground, and they which heard it being convicted by their own conscience. So whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, whether you're lost or you're saved, you have not been left without a voice to direct you in the steps that you take. Now, the wonderful thing is that uh, we that are saved, not only do we have a conscience, but we also have the Holy Spirit. We have two voices or two deputies. Look there, Romans chapter number 9. Romans chapter number 9. So we that are saved have even less excuse. You can't say I didn't know. Because not only do you have a conscience that guides, but you have also a Holy Spirit that guides. And that is his job. Romans chapter number 9. Look there in verse number 1. Romans chapter 9 and verse 1. Paul said, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost. There's a saved man saying, my conscience and the Holy Ghost, I'm following both of what they say. 
And so the first thing, as far as the principle of doubtful things, God has placed in every person a deputy. Truth is, he's placed two. And the Spirit will guide you in the things that you do. Look there in Acts 16, Acts chapter 16, just so you understand that the Spirit of God can guide you if you let him. Acts chapter 16, this is Paul on his second missionary journey. And uh, he's trying to find the mind of God, where to go next. He started a church there, Lord, where do you want me to go next? He's praying. Look there in Acts 16 and verse 6. It says, now when they, that's Paul and the missionary team, when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, two provinces, and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia, we, that's Asia Minor, we call it Turkey. The Spirit of God said, no, don't go that way. So the Spirit of God was guiding them. Look there in the very next verse, verse 7. And after they were come to Mysia, they essayed, they wanted to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. So all I'm trying to say is, if you're lost, you have a conscience that would direct you. If you're saved, you have a conscience and the Holy Spirit. First thing, God has placed in every person a deputy. I give you the second thing. Look there in 1 Corinthians 8. Again, you can let go of everything else you got. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. And you say, well, Pastor, if every believer indeed has two voices in them that guide them, why are some Christians doing what's wrong? I mean, clearly what's wrong. <laughs> How's that possible? Well, the answer for that question, 1 Corinthians 8 and verse 7. Howbeit there is not in every man that knowledge, for some with conscience of the idol unto this hour eat it as a thing offered unto an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. As much as every saved person, one has a conscience and two has the Holy Spirit, you can weaken that conscience. You can defile that conscience. You can ignore the Holy Spirit. You can do all those things. And some that are doubtful have done just that. Their conscience has said, you shouldn't do that. The Holy Spirit has said, that's not right. And what they've done is, I don't want to listen to that. And so what they've done is they have weakened their conscience. And the only way to explain why it is that some Christians won't do some things, and yet there are other Christians that see nothing wrong with those things, somebody is not listening to those two deputies that God has assigned to help them through life. And so the second thing to write down, those deputies can be defiled. First thing he wrote down is God has placed in every person a deputy or deputies. Second thing, those deputies can be defiled. Uh, now, folks, uh, I've never smoked a cigarette in my life, and I can't take credit for that. I take credit for godly parents that taught me some good character. I've never smoked in my life, but I imagine there are some here that have. We won't have a show of hands, so you can relax. I imagine the first time that you smoked, 
you probably didn't do it out front, where face to face, your mom and dad. Probably not. Sure, you can find an exception where my dad taught me how to smoke, sure. But for the most part, the first time that you smoked, you probably did it out behind the barn. Why? Because there was a voice inside that said, you better not do this. The first time that you drank some kind of intoxicating liquor, you probably didn't do it in front of your godly grandmother with a Bible open on her lap reading it. Why? Because there was a voice inside of you that said you better not. If you were lost, it was your conscience. If you were saved, it was your conscience and the Holy Spirit. But I guarantee the hundredth cigarette you smoked, you didn't care who was there. The hundredth beer that you cracked open, boy, you probably wanted to give one to each of the boys. How do you explain that? Because although God's given us a conscience and a Holy Spirit to guide us in what we do, you can weaken that conscience. It can scream no and you can ignore it to the point where your conscience is hoarse. You can no longer hear that voice. Not only can your conscience be weakened according to that verse, but look there in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 2. 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 2. Not only can your conscience be weakened, but look, uh, let's start there in verse 1, 1 Timothy 4 and verse 1. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly or exactly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Now notice verse 2. Speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. And so not only our conscience can be weakened, our conscience can be seared. If you have, I'm sure some do, if you have or had ever burned your fingers or seared your fingers or got a callus on your, you, you can't feel anything. And so that tender conscience that's trying to tell you, don't do it. You can't hear it anymore. Now it's not only just a weakened conscience, now it's a seared conscience and uh, it no longer helps. Now, when it comes to the Holy Spirit, uh, there are some verses that talk about quenching the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit convicts our heart, speaks to our heart about something, and uh, we just ignore it. Uh, it it's kind of like, you know, if, if you ever get a fire just started, like I burn the garbage here, normally Mondays, if you, if you get the garbage just a flame going, and then you throw garbage on top of it, you can smother that. That's grieving the Holy Spirit. So you can grieve the Spirit and you can quench the Spirit. And uh, what, what we're trying to say, secondly, is these deputies within us can be defiled. We can ignore it. And you can. I mean, listen, Ed, I'm, I'm sure it's happened. I know it's happened to me. Sitting in a seat and the Spirit of God convicts me and says, what he's saying, that's for you right now, buddy. If it doesn't fit anybody else, it's for you. And you need to get this thing fixed right now. I ought to rejoice that I can hear the Spirit's conviction. But there are times where I've not made a move, whether it was to an altar or made an altar out of my chair. 
And so again, we're trying to chase down this idea of doubtful things. First thing, God has placed in everyone a deputy. You do have help to get you through to find out whether it's good or whether it's not good. But secondly, those deputies can be defiled. Let me give you a third thing. Look there in Luke chapter 22. And so the third thing, if you're writing down Luke 22, how should we approach matters where we doubt? How should we approach matters where we doubt? I mean, if I have sufficient light and voice inside me, that should help me through. But if it's also possible that I can silence those voices, then what do I do, preacher? Because I'm the one that's doubting. I'm the one that's not sure. Well, let me give you quickly, if you, if you scribble these five things down. Uh, Luke chapter 22, look at verse 42. Ultimately, you're going to have to do this. Luke chapter 22 and verse 42. Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Ultimately, you're going to say, Lord, I don't want my will. I want yours. What's your will? And, if, you know, very clearly, if you're a born-again Christian, you, you know that there are some things that are obviously right. You know that going to church is right and reading the Bible is right. You know that tithing is right, you know, loving your name. There are some things that are so obvious that you know they're right. You know that there are some things that are obviously wrong. Lying's wrong and hating's wrong and stealing's wrong and, and murder's wrong and adultery's wrong. There's also some things that are obviously neutral. Do you know what time you get up in the morning? It's kind of neutral. Yeah, not according to my dad. <laughs> what time you get up in the... You're going to be hard-pressed to find in Scripture about what time. That's neutral. Uh, what color of car you drive? Now, personally, I wouldn't drive a pink one. It helps out. But the, what color of car that you drive, that's kind of neutral. Do you know it's kind of neutral about eating apple pie? So I can't eat apples. It, it's, it's kind of neutral. But you know, there are some very clear things that some Christians doubt. Is it okay? Is it not okay? People generally have two approaches to this. Everything is okay. Unless you can prove it's wrong. And so really when you talk to them, their thought is uh, it's innocent until it's proven guilty. Everything. And so they generally are the ones that say, what's wrong with that? You can't show me anything in the Bible that says it's wrong. Some people's attitude about doubtful things is everything is fine until you can prove it's wrong. And let's face it, that's, that works in a court system. You're, not, you're innocent until proven guilty. But you know, the other approach is this, that if it's doubtful, you probably shouldn't do it until you can prove it's okay. With that, let me give you five questions to ask about a doubtful thing. If you'd write this down, first of all, do you doubt it? Do you doubt it? Pastor, I'm not sure if I should go to that get-together. If you doubt it, you probably shouldn't. One day a little boy said to his mom, Mom, is this shirt dirty? And she said, yes. Without even turning around, she said, yes. That little guy said, Mom, you didn't even look at it. 
how did you know it was dirty? And she said, son, if it's doubtful, it's dirty. <laughs> if there is something in you that's asking, I'm not sure if, it's probably not a good thing to do. So the first question, do you doubt about doing that? Here's the second question. Not only is it doubtful, the second question is, what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? Now, I know that we all think we're scholars about this thing that we're trying to convince dad, mom, it's okay to do. You've got a Bible for that. You've got scripture. The Bible says, let God be true, but every man a liar. So the first thing, is there any doubt? If there's doubt, you shouldn't do it. Second thing, what does the scripture say? Now remember, your conscience could be tainted by the society that you live. And so you have to be a little careful about that. Isn't it true if we backed up the clock a hundred years, no one questioned whether adultery was okay. No one questioned that. But we now live in a society that has approved that. So you're going to have to go back to the Bible. Second thing is, what do the scriptures say? Third thing, what pattern is set by the saints of the church? Look, if you would, in 1 Corinthians 11. We're almost done. 1 Corinthians 11. Preacher, I'm, I'm doubtful about whether I should do this or not. I have some people that say, don't worry about it, just go ahead and do it. I have some other people that say, preacher, I don't think that's a good idea. What should I do? Well, not only do you doubt as you proceed with that. If you doubt, you shouldn't. What does the scripture say? But the third thing is, uh, the third thing is, what pattern has been set by the saints? There in 1 Corinthians chapter number 11, in the opening verses, he's talking about the issue of hair and men with short hair and women with long hair. And he knows that he's going to get an argument with people. Look there in 1 Corinthians eleven fifteen. But if a woman have long hair, it is glory for her, for her hair is given her for a covering. Verse 16. But if any man seem to be contentious, we have no such custom, neither the churches of God. Now, I know that there are some churches that have thrown caution to the wind and they've accepted everything. That's why what the saints of the church do isn't your first criteria. It's the third one. But I would suggest to you, why don't you pull up alongside some old saints of God who you know have a walk with God and read the word of God and every time they open their mouth, something good about God comes out of that mouth. Why don't you say, you, what do you think about this? I think you get a lot of counsel from the old saints of God, and that's what he said here, to those that were still arguing about the hair. There is no such custom, neither the churches of God. So the third thing is, what pattern has been set by the saints in the church? Fourth one is, am I comfortable doing it in the presence of others? Am I comfortable doing it in the presence of others? So whatever it is, so I think it's okay. Okay, would you do it with your parents right there? Well, no, I wouldn't do it with that. No way. Well, then there's probably something wrong with it. 
Would you do it with your Sunday school teacher, your, your teen directors? Would you do it with your pastor right there? Would you do it with your school teacher right there? If you'd be embarrassed other people seeing you do it, you probably shouldn't do it. Then I give you the last thing in this little list. Last thing, how would my doing it affect my testimony? Folks, everything we do establishes a testimony. It takes a lifetime to establish a good testimony. And it takes just one night of sin to mess it all up. Yes, we remember David defeating Goliath. But we also remember David in his sin with Bathsheba. And so what's it going to do? And are you going to look back 10 years from now on that one stupid thing that you already doubted just as you were doing it and say, well, you know what? I just wish I could undo that and fix that. We've looked tonight at this question of principle of doubtful things. First of all, God has put two deputies inside every Christian to guide us. But you can silence those. You can ignore them. You cannot hear them anymore, and therefore, how do we approach if we have doubts? Well, you had those two voices, but if you can't hear them anymore, then you need to consider what does the Bible say. And you need to consider what do the godly saints believe. You can consider, would I do it in the sight of others? And you should consider, will it help or hurt my testimony? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for looking at this principle tonight. And Lord, I would not, I would not say that mature Christians never have doubts. That's not true. Sometimes mature Christians embark into areas of life they've never been before. Doubt is not an enemy. Doubt is just a good thing to help us to examine even closer what we're about to do. Would you help us? Lord, you've blessed everyone with a conscience. But when we got saved to that conscience, you added a Holy Spirit. Or the biggest blessing is we don't have to face new situations without your help. But Lord, we can ignore that help. We can plunge headlong and go ahead and do it anyway. Would you help us? If we don't, be best to stop right there. When the scriptures tell us, we need to follow what the scriptures say. Lord, we've been given an example of the saints in the church. And Father, we need to be careful what it will do to our testimony. Help us tonight when it comes to doubtful things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.